Ladies and gentlemen, it is a glorious day in the podcast world. The Prem Pod is back. Hello and welcome back, everyone. Yes, finally, after over three months of no live soccer in the Premier League, we are back and we are back to talk about the Premier League. I'm Ryan McKenna, your host for the Prem Pod for episode 27.10 or just episode 36, whichever you prefer. Yes, it has been that many extra episodes since we've actually spoken about live football. In the last episode that we talked about, it was about Bruno Fernandez as the uh, the king of something. Chaos king, but regardless, The chaos king, yes. Yeah, and that's a good lead-in for my co-analyst today on the show, Peter Galindo. How are you? Oh, I'm, I've been looking forward to this day for literally months, as I'm sure all of us have. Yeah, absolutely. I know Jeff Lowe. Jeff, how are you? You've been looking forward to this as well, I know. Oh yeah, I've been I've been dying for it. It's crazy that that was the last time we talked about live Premier League. I'm pretty sure we did that in your guys' apartment, and I don't think Ryan's been back since. <laughs> I, I almost I have been. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just kidding. But, but yeah, no, it's, it's great. I can't believe that you know we we had such a genuinely nice idea to start recording at that apartment all the time, and I I don't think we're gonna do one in person for a long while. Which is absolutely crazy, and it's also crazy like where some of these teams were at whenever this whole COVID came down, and now that things are ramping back up, like some of the storylines maybe I think you sort of forgot about, and then you see the teams play, like we're recording this uh, on a Thursday, and to see Sheffield United back here, they're just like, oh, like these guys actually have a legit chance at maybe uh, getting into the Champions League for Pete's sakes next year. You know, there's all these different storylines that we need to rediscover and whatnot. And that's maybe a little bit of the purpose of of, uh, today's show, along with looking ahead a little bit to the next uh, little bit and and the flurry that's going to come over the next six weeks. I believe there's, uh, Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, 92 games over the next six weeks here as the Premier League finishes its season. Yeah, 90 now because we've had the two games played. But That's correct. Which is absolutely nuts. So, uh, Peter, let's start with you. Uh, I, I know you are a man of multiple screens when it comes to watching soccer. Uh, what was that like yesterday for you, getting the Premier League back uh, and watching the matches on on uh, DAZN? Well, I think I told both of you, I, I certainly told Jeff this, but it was, for me, in, in a word, and I'm going to use a fancy word, stupendous, logging into DAZN to watch a live Premier League game. Like, none of this, you know, endless searching for a classic match that may or may not exist. I was stressing about which games to watch on my multiple screens, and I've never been so happy to have that stress back in my life. I absolutely love that. And I I love following along with your tweets, whether they are old games, current games, in a language that I don't really understand. It doesn't matter. (laughs) But Jeff, uh, what what was that like for you yesterday, tuning into the the matches, even though a little bit of a rough one for, for your side? Oh, it was amazing. Uh, there's there's no two ways about it. I mean, results I don't really care about. We had the Premier League back. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the full experience because it was middle of the day uh, on a Wednesday, so I was working. So I, I can't wait till this weekend where you know I'll wake up early in the morning, get some a fresh pot of coffee going, and sit down to watch footy on Saturday morning. And one of the best 
parts of this restart is the fact that there's no overlapping matches. So I can literally sit down at 7.30 in the morning on, on Saturday and watch Premier League soccer right up until 5 p.m. Honestly, I think my biggest thing throughout all of this, and I'm a big baseball fan as well, and the thing that I liked about baseball this time of year is you can normally each day catch at least one game in the afternoon. And I think we're going to be able to do that a lot going forward with the, with the Premier League. You throw it on in the afternoon whenever you're working, like Monday through Friday, and there will probably be a game on, which is going to be absolutely unreal. And it's going to be really challenging for us uh, going ahead trying to cover all of this. But at the same time, as a viewer, the experience is just going to be so thrilling. It's such a rush to the finish line now. Yeah, and as such a, a big sports fan, it's always, or it was at least, really nice to just be able to throw something on in the background. And that's something we've we've definitely missed over the last three months. So to have the Premier League back, uh, a, a soccer league that we love, and to have it on all the time, just to be able to throw on in the background, even if I do have to work as the game's on, it, it's pretty nice and it's it's really refreshing and so happy to have it back. So I just want to jump in here a little bit. And if you're tuning back into the Pram Pod, welcome back. Uh, but if you're a little bit confused right now, and I should have maybe said this off the top, but I was way too excited to talk about the Premier League. Uh, I will say that congratulations to Bayern Munich winners of uh, their eighth straight Bundesliga title. As some of you may know, for the last three weeks, we've been covering the Bundesliga with something called the Food Pod. And last week we had Joshua Cloak on as a special guest. And Joshua was awesome to have on to the podcast. He had so much great insight. It gave me a newfound respect for the Bundesliga and the talent that's there and, and the players and whatnot. Um, and Peter, maybe I'll get your thoughts here on seeing Bayern Munich hoist that trophy once again and sort of maybe uh, dive in a little bit on the Canadian aspect uh, before we get back to talking Premier League. I feel like we can kind of intertwine both of them because as I wrote for Sportsnet when Bayern clinched the title, their eighth in a row, Alfonso Davies in a lot of ways was the symbol for the Hansi Flick revolution at Bayern Munich. Because if you look at the starting 11 from that win over Werder Bremen, only one of the 11, Benjamin Pavar, was a summer signing. The rest of them had been at the club for at least a year and a half. And when you think about how much Jerome Boateng improved, how much Thomas Muller improved, both of whom were exiled from the German national team, they go from that to probably making a pretty strong case to being able to get back into the team had Euro 2020 gone ahead this summer. It, it just goes to show you how well Flick was able to reinvigorate that team because it wasn't that long ago when they were talking about, well, they're going to need five or six players to compete with the elite again. And instead, you've got players like Alfonso Davies, you know, a $13 million signing from MLS who had barely played left back in his career to become one of the best left backs, certainly in-form left backs, in the world and Flick was able to get the most out of him. He was able to get the most out of everybody and utilize their best traits. He established a clear system that we haven't seen since probably the Guardiola days. And you see how much better Bayern was for it and how dominant they were again. That's bad news for the rest of the Bundesliga because we're probably going to end up seeing a, a once again, very dominant Bayern an unbeatable Bayern for the next couple of years. But Certainly from a Canadian perspective, it's great to see Alfonso Davies shining for 
a super club. And it's something we haven't really been able to say about any Canadian player in the past. So for his sake, long may it continue because the better he does, the better it is for all of Canadian soccer as well. Yeah, Jeff, and I think Alfonso Davies being sort of thrusted into the spotlight, I, I think about it a little bit from a Canadian entertainment perspective. And from that perspective and uh, my, my former employer, I'm sure almost a great thing to have such a star like Alfonso Davies to sort of market everything around. And the fact that Bayern Munich is so good. Uh, I, I think almost having uh, the Bundesliga and, and such a great Canadian figure like Alfonso Davies to look forward to each weekend for the past few weeks at, before the Premier League came back and other sports, hopefully, as we go forward. It was a really positive thing to have in our lives. I mentioned this a few weeks ago when we were talking about Davies and Bayern Munich, and uh, it's something I like about, uh, I really, really like about being a Canadian sports fan, and that is that we all get behind our athletes when they're doing really well. I mean, when when they struggle, you know, there are maybe some criticisms to be made, but that's fandom for you. But it was really great, you know, the early days of the Bundesliga restart to see Canadians really get behind Alfonso Davies and and really appreciate what he's doing. Because like Peter said, it's really quite, quite remarkable uh, that he's able to do the things that he he's done, um, especially since the restart, such a young age at a, at a, a position he doesn't have much experience in. And, and overall, I just think the dominance of Bayern Munich was so impressive over the last few weeks. And you know, now that we know how the Champions League is going to play out in uh, in August, they are a serious threat. Oh, I can't wait to watch this team in the Champions League. They're going to be so tough to, to beat, and they're going to be so entertaining to watch as well, I think. But, uh, yeah, congratulations to Bayern Munich, uh, winners of their eighth straight Bundesliga title. Now, let's get back to the Premier League a little bit here. And yesterday, there was two matches to get things back going, Aston Villa and Sheffield United, and then later it was Arsenal against Manchester City. Uh, I will say that it was weird. You know, it was weird watching the Bundesliga without any fans, but I think us as a podcast have more of a connection to the Premier League, and so I found it definitely weird not having fans in the stands and that atmosphere. But at the same time, I think I, I, I've almost overlooked the fact that there's no fans there, and I'm just just enjoying the game for what it is. I'm not sure if you guys feel the same. I, I watched a feed that had uh, fake crowd noise, and it actually wasn't that bad. The timing of certain chants and roars and stuff was a little bit off, but I felt like it made watching it a little less jarring than you know some of the Bundesliga matches I've watched where there has been just all quiet. That I thought, you know, was good and, and took the effect off of it a little. And I hope that that continues going forward. Yeah, that is a good point. And that even though it, you know, may look weird a little bit, having that noise was definitely helpful. Now, let's talk a little bit about these games. The Aston Villa-Sheffield United game finished in a nil-nil draw. Although I personally think... Sheffield United should have won this game. Peter, you may be able to describe a little bit why that was not a, a goal for Sheffield United late in that first half. I, I don't really understand that. So full disclosure, I was probably like Michael Oliver in this situation, much like the players in this situation, in that I initially thought it wasn't a goal if goal line technology didn't indicate that it was a goal. I just figured, okay, it didn't cross the line. It must be true. But... 
then you get one or two looks at it. You get a closer look. You get a closer look. And then you realize, wow, okay, something really went wrong. And then you find out that Hawkeye comes out and says that the technology wasn't working due to the odd nature of how the ball crossed the line. Basically, in nine, I think it was 9,000 different uh, simulations and different games in the past, it just wasn't made or developed to essentially pick up an image in that situation and that's what made it tough and then that is insane and then when the system resumed michael oliver then got a signal on his watch saying that it was a goal but because the play had resumed before any check had been done according to the rules that means that the goal can't be given so sheffield united in a lot of ways really got boned again by technology they said uh hawkeye said i think that there are seven cameras uh pointed in at that goal and uh, just because of the way it all unfolded, because of the goalkeeper, the defender, the goalpost, they didn't have a good look at the goal, so they couldn't call it a goal. Uh, and and like Peter said, it was literally a one in nine thousand match mistake. It had they said it had never happened in in nine thousand matches, but that shouldn't be an excuse. You know that sh- this should never happen. And like Peter, I think the Premier League is trusting a little bit too much in their technology. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I miss this Premier League banter. I mean, that's that's two drop points and two really tough drop points for Sheffield United, who would literally take any points at, at this point as they try to, to keep up with Man United and keep away from the likes of Wolves and Tottenham. Sorry, I just wanted to say, I have a note here. I, it, it reminded me of that classic. And, and here's why we did those classic episodes. It reminds me of that classic episode we did when we reviewed that Man City Tottenham match where Balotelli wasn't given a red card and ultimately it decided the fate of, you know, both Tottenham and Man City, Man City going on to win the title and Tottenham missing out on the Champions League that year. The gravity of a decision like this can be huge. Like if, if it if it ends up that Villa gets one point and, and survives by one point and Sheffield United miss out on Champions League spots by two, this clear gaff by whoever you want to blame, Hawkeye, the Premier League, you know, Sheffield has a real grievance here. And it's it's going to be really interesting to watch to see if it does come down to those points that were missed out on or gained in this case that we saw yesterday. Ryan, one thing I will, I guess, debate you on is I actually think Villa did enough to warrant a result. Now, had that goal gone in, would it have changed the momentum? More than likely it would have, especially right before halftime. And when a goalkeeper makes a mistake like that, a a David Ospina-like error, I don't need to tell Jeff that, um, it can change the momentum of a game. But overall, I thought Villa played pretty decently well. Grealish was dangerous. Conor Hurahan was dangerous. Uh, They threatened a fair amount on set pieces. They limited Sheffield United's chances overall, apart from that one gaffe. But normally it's Sheffield United who are the ones that are containing opponents to low-quality chances and hitting teams on the counter or on set pieces. So it was kind of weird to see that odd reversal. If Villa can play that way, they might actually be able to pull themselves out of... Yeah, you're right, Peter. I I maybe didn't give... um credit enough to Aston Villa with that but I think Dean Henderson also had a pretty good game uh, like Villa had six shots on target to uh, Sheffield's one so I think Peter's probably right but I mean ultimately Sheffield got as Peter would say boned 
No, I, I totally agree with you, Peter. I, I don't think I maybe gave Villa enough credit, but uh, one team that I know that I can give a little bit of uh, poop to uh, is Arsenal. Just kidding. Maybe maybe not Arsenal as a whole, but maybe David Louise, we can give him a little bit of poop because he sucked yesterday. And then he got sent off, and it was just a rough day for, for Arsenal, Jeff, as they fell 3-0 to a Manchester City side. Yeah, it was probably a worst uh, case scenario for Arsenal. You know, not only did David Luiz suck, as you so eloquently put, but they suffered some injuries, and that's why David Luiz ended up coming on in the first place. Pablo Mari went out, and he was playing uh, center back along with Mustafi, and so that was unfortunate that obviously Luiz had to come come on and probably had the, the worst 25-minute tw- span I've ever seen from a player. And then also... Uh, Granite Xhaka got hurt as well. And he, uh, you know, despite the flack that he's caught over his years at Arsenal, was actually playing a pretty vital role in the in the, uh, in the the way that Mikel Arteta is setting up that team. So that's another unfortunate injury. It sounds like he'll be able to make it back before the season's over, but any loss of Xhaka is a bad one. And the, the first goal that Louise allowed, it was completely unnecessary. I mean, you know, just clear the ball. Don't Don't get fancy with it but instead he tries to, to play the ball rather than boot out of bounds. And the second goal was was a typical Louise Rash decision that we've seen over and over again during his time at Arsenal. Uh, and, you know, it was just amplified by the fact that, you know, he's lost a step and he can't keep up with players like he used to. It was a tough, a tough day, and David Louise played the biggest role in it because I believe Arsenal played okay in the few minutes leading up to Pablo Mari's uh, exit but they also had zero shots on target so it's not like the offense was there but the defense was in shambles all around i think arteta who i believe in thoroughly uh has a lot of work to do you could see that as soon as louise came on man city was giddy with excitement and targeted him immediately they were kind of already leaning towards the right because that's typically what they do kevin de bruyne does his damage on that side and they were going up against an even more rusty uh, Kieran Tierney compared to the rest of them because of all of his injury issues. But then as soon as David Luiz came on and played right next to him, it was like, all right, boys, this is the the, the route to goal here. We just got to keep going at him and he'll eventually make a mistake. And he did. And if it wasn't for Bernd Leno, who I think time and time again this year has prevented a humiliation for Arsenal. Um, he's one of the top goalkeepers in the Premier League when it comes to post-shot expected goals minus goals so basically he's stopped seven more goals than he has been expected to which is quite something because he's right up there with Dean Henderson with Guaita from Crystal Palace and the like but it you know like you said Jeff it was sad for Arsenal because for 30 minutes they actually limited City and defended pretty well now obviously very little support whenever they countered they just didn't have the numbers to be able to properly test Ederson but overall I thought that for 30 minutes, they did well, and that kind of makes you think, okay, I guess, you know, with proper defenders out there, they can actually do some damage. Um, but Kevin De Bruyne, what a game from him. The guy can still, after three months off the pitch, hit a perfect pass. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they're a really dangerous team, and, you know, we talk we talk about Arsenal off the top for obvious reasons, uh, but like credit to Man City to come back. Plenty of questions around Man City in general, the fact that they're so far behind Liverpool, the whole Champions League thing is going on, but you know, credit to them, they come on after three months and, and they look spectacular. You mentioned De Bruyne. Phil Foden was great when he came on 
and they were just as, as ruthless as ever. They were dominant in this game, and and really, you know, like when that penalty goes in, the game's over. And so credit to them for what was a really truly dominant performance. One final note on the crapping on David Luiz portion of the podcast. This isn't so much on him. This is more to do with uh, his agent, Kia Jarabchian, because I feel like his influence at Arsenal is the quintessential example of, of the positives and the negatives of having such heavy agent influence at a club. It happens everywhere. It's not just Arsenal. It's not just Wolves, as we see with George Mendes. It happens at Juventus with Mino Raiola. But Jarabchian, he's very close with Edu Gaspar, the technical director of Arsenal. He was actually the one who brokered that deal for Edu Gaspar to go, come to the club. And one of the benefits of having Jarabchian is he has a lot of very good contacts in South America. Because of this, Arsenal are able to sign a Gabriel Martinelli, for example. But for every Martinelli, you will get a David Luiz because, all right, in exchange for helping you, you have to sign my client, David Luiz, give him this this amount of money, give him these clauses, these bonuses, etc. So that's the negative side of this. And it will be interesting to see what happens in the summer and beyond when it comes to Jarabshian's influence at the club. Because, again, there will be some positives, but it's just a matter of whether that completely overwrites the negatives. Peter, I just want to say that that expected saves uh, statistics about Burt Leno, you probably would have been like, 90 you probably would have saved like 90 percent of the goals in our in our soccer matches last <laughs> last summer like we gave up so many chances jeff and uh, not on the right side it's true <laughs> very true actually all right great discussion about that game and, and yes uh, a masterful performance uh by city in that one i want to shift our attention to a team that is uh, currently vying for a champions league spot and at this uh, rate uh, impending Manchester City's still being ousted from the uh, Champions League in the uh, years ahead. They will be in is Manchester United. Um, and one interesting storyline to watch, there's a few going uh, forward in the Premier League over the next little bit. But one that I want to talk about right now is that of uh, Bruno Fernandes, who we talked about off the top of the podcast, and Paul Pogba. Uh, Paul Pogba has been out since Boxing Day with an injury. It feels like he's been out way longer than that. In some ways, it doesn't really feel like we've seen him since the 2018 uh, World Cup. But anyways, they're, they're now coexisting. And I feel as though this is going to be a really interesting dynamic as we sit going forward. Jeff, why don't we start with you on this one? Uh, how do you think that uh, that is going to work? And will they be on the pitch at the same time? Do you think uh, Ole Gunnar Gustafsson is going to spread them out? How, how do you foresee that going on? You know, the question being, how will they coexist? I don't know that we're going to see that on Friday against Tottenham. I think, you know, United were playing so well before the break. Uh, they were in the midst of an 11-match unbeaten run, and they were playing it with three-man midfield of, of Bruno Fernandes, Fred, who was playing really well, and Scott McTominay, uh, who was some sometimes uh, replaced by Nemanja Matic. So, they, they were playing really well. That midfield was working well. So I wonder if, if Solskjaer thinks why ruin a good thing uh, now that Rashford and Martial are back in the mix from, from injury and the defense is playing well ahead of David De Gea, who is also playing well. So my gut says that I think Pogba will start on the bench, although I would kind of like to see what happens with Fernandez uh, and Pogba 
starting together. I, I do think they play it safe here and go with the three-man midfield that was working so well before things all came to a pause. Yeah, I tend to agree with that too, and especially because Pogba's been out for so long and he's been dealing with so many troublesome injuries. I don't think Solskjaer will want to run him into the ground right off the bat, especially when there will be fixture congestion coming up. But if they do eventually play together, which I feel it will happen at some point, the other midfielder who plays with them is going to have to run a lot. And is it going to be Fred? Is it going to be McTominay? Both come with pros and cons. Fred gives you the ability to cover ground, but he doesn't thrive as the deepest player. He does thrive as a box-to-box player, which we've seen during his resurgence this season. McTominay is probably the perfect candidate to play with them just because he's perfect as a ball winning midfielder sitting deep and just you know passing it off to the next guy who can actually do something in possession but keep in mind fernandez does track back pogba does on occasion too uh the issue is pogba and fernandez both occupy the same spaces in that left half space uh fernandez when he was at sporting tended to drift to the right but since he's been at united he's gone towards the left Maybe with the injured players coming back, that changes. But that's something Solskjaer will have to look at and try to fit in. Uh, Especially because United will probably benefit as a compact counter-attacking team. I feel like in the early days of the Premier League, when a lot of teams are rusty, those will be the sides that will actually thrive in the early weeks of the campaign. So do you want to throw a little bit of unbalance in the midfield in order to kind of take the games to opponents and tire yourselves out, especially when it's worked so well for United? I'm not so sure. I'm pumped to see how this team moves forward and especially with a lot on the line in terms of potential Champions League places. Just also a quick shout out to Marcus Rashford. Uh, I'm shouting him out for his efforts off the pitch and uh, it came out earlier this week that he's renewed his calls for school meal voucher uh, scheme to be extended in England. I really like when uh, professional footballers or or professional athletes uh, stick up for these social uh, causes and and really these uh, causes that should just really seem to be simple uh, understanding. But sometimes it takes a a figure like Marcus Rashford or a popular athlete to get politicians in line about this kind of stuff. So kudos to Marcus Rashford for stepping up to the cause in that regard. Jeff, is there a storyline that you're really looking forward to uh, to in this uh, restart of the Premier League season? Yeah, for me, it's the one that nobody can ignore, and it's the circumstances surrounding this entire restart. I have so many questions. You know, like, what kind of impact will empty stadiums have on games? We've kind of seen that in the Bundesliga. You know, it's it's having an effect. Will we see that kind of effect? Will home field advantage dissipate will we see just general chaos when it comes to results what kind of impact will lack of fitness have on teams like we saw that yesterday on wednesday with arsenal you know they lost two players two important players really quickly how much of that are we going to see on this this first weekend what happens if the premier league is unable to contain covid19 within the league you know they they don't have a plan if they have to shut things down again for relegation etc so it's the one that's sitting right in front of us. It's the storyline that wasn't there three months ago, but it is definitely the one that's always there uh, now and one we can't ignore. Very hard to ignore. I think that we'd be remiss not to mention that that is the biggest storyline that people are watching is whether or not the season finishes with the breeze, right? 
I guess to go more specific for me, and I guess more of an on-the-pitch kind of story, it's going to be obviously the Champions League race, but specifically because I have to go with my boys, guys. Uh, it, it has to be Chelsea. Can Pulisic return and make an impact with Tammy Abraham? Will Fakayo Tomori retain a, or reclaim excuse me, a place in the back line, especially now that they have the momentum with capturing Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner? They won't play till next season, of course, but with so much momentum behind them can Chelsea build on this and get into the Champions League we'll see and then obviously guys I'm always going to be paying a cl close attention to what Leicester City does just so I can uh, crap all over them much like we did with David Luiz earlier I thought they were your boys though they, they can be sometimes depending on, on what happens <laughs> no they're not don't Peter, pretend don't they're lie. not your boys you know what you're when, they, you're lying to us. when they waste chances and and are slowly regressing back to the mean that's when they're my boys so when they suck, you like them. Correct, yes. Oh, Peter, how we missed you uh, on the Prem Pod. Great predictions, guys. And, and yes, uh, we would be remiss not to mention that the reason why we've been off here for over three months is because of COVID-19. And all these questions are, are going to be you know surrounding us in, in the months ahead. Uh, lots of questions on that front going forward, but definitely also lots of questions on the pitch. Uh, another big one for me is when is Liverpool going to uh, clinch their title? Uh, if it's not on Sunday, it could be on Wednesday, just outside of Anfield. So we will see what happens uh, in that regard. Speaking of um, clinching and, and getting into the right spots, uh, how about the Champions League? Uh, so I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on who you guys think will actually get in. Just looking at the table right now, one through four is Liverpool, Man City, Leicester City, Chelsea. But asterisks beside Man City, as I mentioned earlier, they have the uh, ban going on. So that means that Manchester United will get into the Champions League as it stands. Who, who do you think is in? Who do you think is out? and the Champions League by the time we get to the end of the season. So, obviously, I think, you know, it's going to be Liverpool, 25 points, title, yada, yada, yada. But then it gets interesting after Man City, right? Because Peter talked about the team that he hates so much. Leicester City was was not doing all that well before the break. Uh, they surprise, did surprise. On, they did end on a high note, Peter, before you interrupted me, I was going to say. Uh, they ended on a high note. Uh, they beat Villa 4-0. But before that, they had gone winless in four matches. And I have to concede uh, to Peter, they weren't doing well. So that's a really interesting one there. So, but I'm going to say they hold on to that third spot. I'm, I think they're going to be in third. But in fourth, I think, uh, sorry to your boys, Peter, I think United's going to be in fourth. They're healthy. They're gonna, they have a, really, a lot of really interesting options. And maybe most importantly, they have a relatively easy fixture list. Uh, over the next six weeks. So I think Man United actually gets up into that fourth spot and maybe even challenges Leicester for that third spot. And in fifth, I've got Chelsea. I think the mixed bag of results will continue. We saw from Chelsea uh, a pretty up and down campaign, especially after the new year. Uh, and I think that's going to continue as they try and find themselves uh, under Frank Lampard. But I think they get into that fifth spot, but it's going to be sweaty palms time because I think Tottenham is going to be right there behind them because again health is really going to help Tottenham with Harry Kane and and Son back uh, I think that's going to make a big difference but I think Chelsea sneaks into that fifth spot Jeff I agree with you about Tottenham being a real dark horse here um, you, you mentioned those guys being back healthy and just as badly that they started the the season 
this over three month break could actually be of benefit to them. Uh, what do you think, Peter, in terms of who gets into the Champions League? I'm with Jeff on this. I still think, despite the fact they are my boys, Chelsea will lose out to United because I think that their defense is far superior and that's going to help them grind out some results. And also, as Jeff said, they do have the easier run of fixtures coming up. But of course, that hasn't always been a guarantee. United tends to struggle against teams they can't really break down. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But assuming Man City is banned, it, it's probably going to be Liverpool, Leicester, United, and Chelsea getting in. If that banned isn't upheld and City can play in the Champions League, then it's Liverpool, City, Leicester, and United for me. All right, I love to hear that. My predictions are that United on their uh, good run of form, uh, hopefully, more so just their their healthiness, they get in. I have a hard time thinking that City's uh, appeal is actually going to be overturned. I I think that they'll at least get a one-year ban. So uh, whoever's in that fifth-place spot does get into the Champions League next year. So I could see that being uh, Chelsea. So Man Man United, Chelsea, City, and, and Liverpool in the Champions League next year. Um, and then I also, with that said, would it be surprised to see Tottenham squeeze in there some some way, somehow. But uh, it, it adds to the intrigue of their, their match tomorrow afternoon against United. All right, yeah, let's look at the bottom of the table. And 15th through 19th is super tight. Uh, we got three clubs on 27 points as it stands right now. Bournemouth, Aston Villa, and Norwich City would all be going down. Is that the way that we will see this table at the end of the season, Jeff? I'm going to say no. I think Norwich is going to be in 20th. I think it's just too late. I think Villa is going to be 19th. They've got a really tough run in. Uh, they got to play Chelsea. They got to play Wolves. They got to play Liverpool. They got to play United. They got to play Arsenal. That's just so tough. And then I'm going to say West Ham uh, gets relegated. I think they're kind of a they're kind of a sleeper to go down here, and they've got a really tough three match span to kick everything off against Wolves, Tottenham, and Chelsea. And I could see them taking nothing from those games. And if they take nothing from those games, they're doomed. And I think they they are 18th and they go down in what would be a pretty shocking thing to see. And then Bournemouth bar- barely survives with some health and, and Eddie Howe magic. And then Watford is able to to back Nigel Pearson to, to survive. So th- that's my prediction. Yeah, I somehow feel that, that Bournemouth is a squad that's going to uh, stick around. And, and I think that... Uh, either West Ham or Brighton end up, ends up going down at the end of the season along with Aston Villa and Norwich. I just think that that Wofford uh, and, and and Bournemouth, I don't know, there's just something about those clubs that I feel as though they'll stick around. What do you think, I think I think you want to see them, Ryan. I think you want to see them stay up. It's it, you're, you're talking with your heart here. Exactly. Well, I, I'm pretty much almost in, ag- in agreement with, with, with Jeff, certainly. <laughs> I do think that two of the three teams he picked will go down. I agree on Norwich. West Ham will be doomed over Villa just because they have one of the worst expected goals against totals in the league. They concede around the same amount of shots as as Aston Villa do per 90 minutes. But the difference is West Ham are just so porous defensively and they don't really have any difference makers like a Jack Relish on their team at the moment. Certainly in form ones. And that to me is a problem. Sure, West Ham has more winnable games than Villa does, 5-3 to three in their favor. But West Ham and Villa play each other. And then in terms of Bournemouth, I feel they're going to go down. 
because Ryan Fraser, he's out of contract. He's not going to be playing for them. That's a huge loss. I feel somehow David Brooks is going to get hurt again. Apparently he was hurt once more and wasn't active in training this week. So I feel both of those teams could be doomed. Wow. If, if Villa stays up, that will be remarkable considering the teams they have to play. Big time. And uh, I mean, even if Phyllis stays up, I don't think they'll have Jack Grealish next season. So um, regardless, they'll have uh, some some tough roads. Uh, that'll, that'll be his parting gift. Is to keep them up. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that, actually. That, that's good well, be, it would be storybook. It would be 100% storybook. And then he goes for big old payday. Classic. Yeah, to United. That I cannot wait for. You know what else I can't wait for is to watch plenty of premier league football in the weeks ahead we're going to do our best here at the prem pod to keep you as uh, up to date and and in tune with the league and and everything that's going on uh our plan is to do some weekly episodes going forward and and hopefully bring to you the biggest storylines of uh, the week that was but we're still ironing out those details much like everyone is during COVID 19 but until then this has been an absolute joy to uh, have both of you guys back and talking about Premier League football. Um, Jeff, any, any uh, thoughts before we, we sign off? No, I have absolutely no more thoughts. I've spoken all my thoughts. And Peter? Just thank you, sir, for your wonderful hosting duties yet again. Oh yeah, I, that too. That too. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Peter, thank you for uh, acknowledging that I'm here. <laughs> Uh, for Jeff Flo and Peter Galindo, I'm Ryan McKenna. This was the Prem Pod, and we can't wait to see you next week. <laughs>